0: Don't give up too soon because a lot of people never start. So everybody always says, just do it. You know, that's a big thing people will tell you. Just start. If you start, you can't do anything till you start, which is true, but don't give up too soon. Keep it going as long as you can till you can't do it anymore.
1: Welcome to Star of the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley, and this is a very special episode. This is an episode that's a little different because we're going to get to know not only a friend, but someone that is a fellow business partner. We're going to get to know Gary Leland. Gary is a podcaster. He's a videographer, blogger, a softball junkie. You can learn more about Gary by going to GaryLeland.com. Gary, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thanks for having me, Jared. Excited to be on the Jared Easley Show.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, whether that's true or not, I appreciate you being here, Gary. So, Gary, one of the things we ask everybody who comes on is, what is the best concert that you have ever been to?
0: Now, I'm not prepared. I haven't listened to your show, so I'm not prepared for any of your questions. (laughs) You know, so uh, the question, I have seen hundreds of concerts. But actually, I'm embarrassed to say the one that was, I thought, the best concert I've ever saw. Back in probably 79, I saw a concert from a band called Mott the Hoople, which was a band that David Bowie produced. And I left that concert. Someone said, how would you think? And I walked out the door saying that was the best concert I've ever been to. So I'm going to have to stick with that. I've seen much bigger names than Mott the Hoople.
1: Much bigger names. <laughs> what, are, but, what are some of the big names that you enjoy? Uh, I've seen Rolling Stones like three or four
0: times. Uh, my first concert, I think when I was 15, they took me to, we were going to see this girl singer, this female singer named Alice Cooper. <laughs> That's how much I knew <laughs> about concerts back then. You know, uh, I saw the Doobie Brothers. I saw the Allman Brothers. I saw, gosh, I mean, I, I've seen so many people. ZZ Top, Charlie Daniels, Edgar Winter, Jethro Tull, Alvin Lee and 10 years. Of, I mean, it's a long list. Deep
1: purple. Right. those are great shows all right so gary you and your wife kathy recently went overseas you went to paris and i'm sure you went around a few places so let's do finish this sentence finish this sentence my favorite thing about paris is the louvre let's talk about the louvre
0: oh, that's pretty cool i mean you can't possibly see it all you know that's for sure but, uh, you know, we got at the Louvre, it was late on a weekday afternoon and like you could walk up to basically the Mona Lisa and uh, talking to I mean, and I say that as to how empty it was when we went, because one of the security people told me that the room the Mona Lisa was in, which was a really big room, maybe 30 by 40, maybe bigger than that, you wouldn't even be able to get into the room the next day, you know, so that was nice that it was empty. And, uh, you know, I got my map and saw some of the things I wanted to see, and we made straight beelines to those because we were limited on time, but we could see all of those.
1: Wow, no doubt. So I, I've actually been to Paris, and I have been to Louvre, so I can relate to that on some level. What were some other things you enjoyed about Paris?
0: Well, the Eiffel Tower, that was my wife's favorite thing that was like on her bucket list. So we went to the top of that. We bought, you know, if you, a lot of those attractions, if you buy your tickets way ahead of time, you can just walk right up there because you know, there was a line where people had been waiting maybe from one o'clock to go up there. And we got there at 10 till five and we were at the top of it by 510, you know. Wow. So that was really nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we went to the Love Lock Bridge and put a lock on there, you know. So I don't know if you're familiar with that, but you like uh, take a lock and you write a message on it. And you and your spouse lock it to this bridge. And this bridge is just covered with padlocks people <laughs> who do that.
1: Did you pick up any French when you were over there? Oh, uh, no, none.
0: <laughs> everybody spoke English.
1: <laughs> I didn't need to. But when I went, like everybody thought Americans were jerks. I oh, know. Uh, it, se- it seemed that way.
0: I didn't have that issue at all. As a matter of fact, even when we went to uh, Palace of Versailles, there were a lot of people. Like, we took a, that's the one time we had to take public transportation, uh, basically mm. a bus, a train. And uh, we had no issues. Everybody was real friendly to us. You know, it's a good deal. Yeah. So we, we had, and I had heard that before and I was concerned, but we didn't find that one time among the whole trip.
1: Hey Gary, I have a random story about the Eiffel Tower. When I went there, I remember there was a couple of us and we were in line uh, because we weren't smart enough to buy our tickets ahead of time before <laughs> they didn't offer it back then. And there was all these vendors like trying to sell oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. I don't gosh, know if you, what did you do with that? Oh. It, it was like a sea of vendors. They're trying to sell keychains and random stuff. Now they so sell you obviously, Eiffel
0: Towers that light up.
1: <laughs> okay, this particular gentleman was selling Eiffel Tower keychains, and he kept bugging us, and we're like, no, no, no. And uh, finally, my friend, just as a joke, he was like, hey, how much for all of those keychains? And the guy was like, oh, for you, special deal, you know, 100 euro. And it was like this, you know, big bag of keychains. There was like, no way it was worth 100 euro. So my friend was like, of course, he was not going to buy them, Gary. He was just kidding. But long story short, he's like, ah, I can only spend, yeah, I have an Eiffel Tower store back in the U.S. And you know, I can only spend 50 euro. <laughs> so this guy comes back. He's like, okay, 50 euro. And he's like, no, no, no. Actually, I, I'm not going to do it. Uh, 20 euro. It, it, finally, the guy like keeps trying to get us to buy these things. And I think my friend gave him 20 euro. He sold all of these keychains. It was like this massive bag. And then we took that bag and handed them out to everybody in line. <laughs> and the vendors were furious because they couldn't sell anything for at least another well, know, half was, an that hour. Well, that was a good whatever. deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, had, we had
0: these little Eiffel Towers about uh, eight inches tall that light up. And so we thought that was just at the Eiffel Tower they sold those. But even when we went to Versailles, they're selling the little Eiffel Towers. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just the item now that they're selling no matter where they're at.
1: All right. So Gary, one of the reasons I had you on is I love what you're doing. You're doing a lot of stuff, but one of the cool things that you're doing, especially that benefits podcasting, is you actually have an online magazine called Pottertainment. And I was curious if you'd be willing to just to share what compelled you to start Pottertainment.
0: Well, you know, my main niche of business is fast pitch softball. I kind of dominate that niche with uh, media, no matter whether it's podcast or whatever. And so I had started a book, uh, I think I'm on, our magazine, I'm on issue 32 maybe now. So almost three years I've been doing a book there. And I kept our magazine there. And I kept telling people, you know, there were friends of mine, hey, this is really working out pretty good. You need to start a podcast magazine. And I, I must have told 10 people that you would know all their names yeah. that are pretty, you know, big time. Some of them even have assistants to help them do stuff. And I said, you know, I'll even help you get started. But I'm telling you, this is a good deal. People... You know, it's a moneymaker and you're providing a good value with what you do. And no one would do it. And I finally just said to myself, "She said, you know, if this is such a good idea, I'm telling everybody to do it. I should be doing it even <laughs> though I don't have time. Mm. So I did it. And now we're on issue 11. I think we're on so issue 11. It, so we're getting close to a year.
1: So what's your experience with it so far? Well, it's been good.
0: A matter of fact, I just got an email from someone who couldn't figure out how to transfer to their new iPad but uh, little things like that. But that's the really only issue you have. But it's, it's a good, it's been real good as a matter of fact. It's a, you know, like I said, it's something that I'm doing to bring value to the podcast community at a low price. So I make a little bit of money off of it. I've got to get a lot of subscriptions to make it valuable, worth my time doing, but it's, it's getting there.
1: So for someone who's never heard of Pottertainment, they have no frame of
0: reference. What is it? It's a once a month magazine comes out usually around the middle of the month. I'm usually a few days late, so not right at the middle of the month. But it has uh, like Todd Cochran writes for me, Rob from uh, Blueberry, Rob Walsh from uh, Libsyn, Rob Greenlee who used to be worth Podcast One, David Jackson School of Podcasting, Steve Stewart is my editor. A lot of people know mm-hmm. him. And then we have usually two videos in it per month. So basically, whoever you see on the cover we have a video session from them from somewhere. Some of the videos last year came from New Media Expo. Some of them came from Podcast Movement. And then there's always a video in there also from Podcast Dallas, you know, which is our local meetup group here. So really, <laughs> the way I kind of look at it is you get two great video sessions in there for a dollar. You know, know what I mean? For $12.99 a year, basically a dollar, you're going to get two great video sessions on the topic of podcasting. You know, so to me, you can't go wrong.
1: No, that's a no-brainer. So, Gary, you mentioned fast pitch. So, how did you get into softball?
0: Well, my uh, daughters played, so I coached them because we wanted to play at a higher level, I guess. And we ended up being um, well at fourteen and under, we won the state of Texas championship, and at fifteen and under, we repeated. So, we won fourteen under, fifteen under state champions. We were strongest team, I guess, in our age group both years. Went to nationals both years, and I think we came in fifth and third and national. So we had a pretty strong team, needless to say. And then other people wanted to get involved with me. So I started a store, but I really started this online store. You know, I had had a website since 96, but I made a fake online store. I didn't plan on really selling anything. I said, you know, if I put these products on store and say I'm selling them and I just use my wallpaper because I own a wallpaper business to shopping cart, you know, Mm -hmm. for the wallpaper website, I said, then I can call manufacturers and they'll sell to me cheaper. Huh. and uh, they wouldn't <laughs> and they didn't <laughs> Okay, but they gave me the name of distributors and they did and really jared it was kind of like right time right place i was the first person that had a fast pitch sporting goods store online that was fast pitch softball for girls everywhere else was a baseball or a slow pitch website so girls teams had to buy from them and i was the first fast pitch and my sales went from like I don't know, maybe it took a few months, but I hit 5,000, 10,000 the next month, 20,000 the next month, 40,000 the next month, 80,000 the next month. It grew like that. Wow. And within a year, we were doing, you know, 120 months. And when you know you've got a good business model when this happens, Jared, when you pick up the phone five to 10 times a day and the person on the other line goes, I just want to let you know, this is the greatest website I've ever seen in my life. I'm telling everyone I know about this website, I've never seen anything like it in my life. <laughs> when you get phone calls like that, you know you're on the right track. <laughs> and uh,
1: Wow. So that still happens today? No, no. Now
0: there are so many people yeah.
1: following the model and doing
0: the model that sure. you know, the business has definitely changed. You know, Now, instead of running one website, we run a network of websites that cater to fast-pitch softball products, you know, and, uh, and they all do a little bit that adds up, adds up to a lot.
1: That's interesting. So let's talk about that transition. So you started making some serious money, You know, money that's a good business. And at some point, people pick that up. They're like, okay, you know, we're going to copy this idea or create our own version of it. So you had a shift. What was that shift like? The
0: shift was just getting busier because we'd already gone through that in 96 with wallpaper. You know, mm-hmm. I had one of the first wallpaper websites. It wasn't the first, but it may have been like the third, you know, this whole wallpaper that you decorate in your house. I still right. remember being pissed that I had to compete with those people that had screensavers, you know, backgrounds <laughs> you know, for advertising <laughs> space. So we, right. we had kind of c- gone through that already. You know, so our sales were really big. It's just more of the same thing coming, but it was like really hard because we were still operating it out of the back of the wallpaper store. (laughs) It was like a nightmare, kind of, to be honest with you. So um, it was kind of a nightmare, to be honest with you. We didn't expect that to ever happen.
1: Gary, one of the stories you shared with me one time is one of the the biggest primary reason I had you on the show is you went through a situation where you had someone that you trusted that was working with you, And then, you know, something didn't quite add up. And it turns out you had a kind of a sticky situation that you had to deal with. And I don't know how much of that you can share on the podcast, but uh, I'd love it if you would share that story or what parts you can and just talk about some of the lessons learned from that. Yeah,
0: I'm real upfront about this. And this is something, you know, as money was embezzled. And, you know, it's funny, Jared, until you have this happen, you think it's very uncommon, but I'm kind of successful. So I live in a successful neighborhood, you know, that just goes with being successful. Most of the people on my street are entrepreneurs, whether they're a lawyer or a dentist, whatever. They all have their own businesses, most of them. And, and I'm real out front about this. I'm not like embarrassed by it happened. I'm a real open person about things that happened in my life. And uh, so as I'm walking down the street, the example is I'm walking down the street one day and I see this guy in the corner and I tell him, and he goes, yeah, that happened to me. And they got uh, two million out of my business before I found out. Oh, that happened to me. We caught them when they only got 50,000. I hear that all the time from people. So this is real common, but someone who had worked for me, and I just want to say that so people are going, how could this happen to you, Gary? It's more common than you think, you know, because what you do is you get people you trust and they can really figure out ways to get money that you won't catch. But this was someone who'd worked for me, gosh, maybe 10, 12 years. We'd had over for Christmas. We'd had a baby shower for her. She was the only employee that had any access in any way to be able to do anything like this. And the fact that she found out how to do it with such limited access is what really was amazing. But I think she got 300 and maybe $50,000, you know, from me over wow. a few years time period, you know? So, um, it was not a happy camper when I found out of all things, cause she started having, she was so happy with, uh, and so comfortable that she started having me pay her water bill at her house, you know, cause I have a lot of water wow. bills that come through my place for different properties, you know, that we rent like our warehouse and, our right. wallpaper store and our softball store. And and she just uh, put it in there as another water bill. And it's, it's like almost every week I pay a water bill or two, you know, so it's no thing to put another water another water bill in there, you know, and our water got turned off. And I said, that's, I called him up and said, that's impossible. Man, I'm paying water bills every damn week. Right. And so I went through all the checks and one of them I went to where they were looking at the water company and they said, that's not for any of your properties. I said, what do you mean? That's all I can say. It's not for any of your properties. Well, who's the property for? I can't tell you that. I said, can you give me the address? So yeah, yeah, you paid for it, so you can have the address. And they gave me the address, and I started looking through the addresses of the uh, employees, and ding, ding, ding. And at first, I thought that it was, uh, I called up, this person said, hey, have I been paying your water bill? And they said, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, types of tight. Type. And I'm like, why wouldn't you just ask me? I'd have loaned you the money, and you could have paid me back when you had it, because I thought it was a few thousand dollars. Right. You know, and she's like, oh, I sit, and I said, well, I need this money tomorrow, or I'm calling the police. Then I go back and start doing some research. And by the end of the day, I'm at $50,000. And then by the end of the week, I'm at $350,000. I mean, it was life-changing in the wrong way. Not all in water bills, I'm sure. No, no, no. 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 The thing about it is in the sporting good business, it doesn't happen in the wallpaper business. In the sporting good business, companies, a lot of them don't receive their... do their own receivables. They'll use outside companies to collect their money. So they may have... Jocko Company and all the checks for Easton Sports goes to Jocko Company. And Jocko Company is the one that calls you if you're late. And they're the ones that you send the money to, and then they send it to Easton. I'm not sure how this works. But there are a lot of these companies. And like I said, a lot of the bigger people use these companies instead of doing it in house. So she was making up new companies because she entered the bills. That's all she did. And she would enter bills for new companies. And when I'd go, Who's this company? She'd go, well, Easton is no longer using Jocko's service now. They've moved over and using ABC services. And the check would be made out to ABC services. And she'd worked with me so long, I just believed her.
1: Mm. Wow. So you make this discovery. Where do you go from there once you know this?
0: At the level, well, like I said, it took us a week to realize what the the level it was. You know, actually, um, we got a, a call from an attorney you know, representing them because they knew they were in big trouble.
1: Okay. So up to that point, you were still doing research and then you get a call from an attorney that's representing the employee. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So this wasn't recent. This was at least a couple years ago, right? Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so what's, uh, was it, were you able to come up with some kind of payback? Is this person in prison or What what are you allowed to say about that? Well, you know, that's the funny thing about that. You know,
0: if, uh, that situation was to happen to you, And they did go to prison. You wouldn't ever get any of your money back. Yeah, that's that's a
1: good point. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I'll tell you a story uh, that I was told by an attorney. This guy had embezzled $3 million from this guy. And he went to the district attorney and a year had gone by and nothing had happened because it takes forever for those wheels to move. But during this year period of time, he worked out a deal with the guy because this guy, unlike most people, did not just piss it all away or throw it, spend it all. He actually invested it and made a lot of money. And so he came back to the guy, he took it from him and said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll give you back your money with interest if you don't press charges. He's like, oh, holy day, great day. So he goes to the district attorney and goes, hey, call it off, call it off. I uh, don't want to press charges anymore because he's going to pay me back. District attorney goes, I don't care what he's doing <laughs> he goes, we're not dropping charges. This is a crime against the state. And so the whole deal was thrown off, you know, so the guy could have gotten all his money back, but he got nothing back. Oh wow! Yes, that's what I was told by the attorney. The story. I don't know if it's true or if he just made it up. But
1: you know, I would think on one hand, you want to see that person <laughs> have to deal with some justice for that. But then, yeah, I get it. On the other hand, you know, if there's any option of getting any money back, you probably want that as well. So, what do you do? Yeah, that's exactly. You have to sit there and
0: figure that out. I I feel very fortunate. I got back a ton. You know, it's in payments. You know, a big part down that I think that they had a family member somewhere that had quite a bit of money, mm. and they knew they were going to go to jail. I mean, you know, when you still a kind of money, you're going to jail for a long time. You know? Yeah. And so I think that they had a family member that you know backed them up and helped them out. Didn't get it all, but even our attorney goes, "I can't believe you got that much." And I haven't talked to anyone who got as high a percentage as I did. So I, I feel very fortunate in what I lost, what I ended up losing. You know, I, uh, yeah, that's just the way it goes. You to move on. You can't like dwell in that kind of stuff.
1: No, but this is a good for listeners to hear because especially if you're starting an online business or you're starting a new adventure, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so I guess what's your advice to someone who's in that scenario where they're trying to create something of value, trying to start that business, whatever it is, pursue that dream. How do they protect themselves? Do, um, do all from-
0: their financials in house themselves. Interesting. Or their wife do it. I don't even trust your relatives. I'm telling you, if people have access to your money, I mean, the stories I've heard since I'm so open about this from other people, the people who they are, you would never expect are the ones that will take your money and just say, I'm sorry, I don't have it. Because they piss it away 90% of the time on BS. You know, just piss it away. They can't even tell you what they did with it. But they will steal your Mm. money. They will figure out ways. Like I said, this person, you know, she couldn't write checks. She couldn't sign checks but she figured out a way to make checks for me to sign you know because of my belief in her and trust in her you know but I, I've heard crazier stories than this than mine and so like I said a lot of people may say that would never happen to me but that's what I would have said too
1: well it's funny I, I have had something like that happen to me not on your level but I was working with someone on a project and we made at least uh, several thousand dollars and uh, next thing I know a couple months into this you know the money is nowhere to be found. And it turns out the partner had gone off and squandered it. Yeah. (laughs) So, and all this time, I thought it was, you know... When people have a, a chance to use your money.
0: And I think, you know, my wife and I decided it probably started with something simple like the water bill. Probably the water bill wasn't added on. That may be how it started. But, you know, once you cross that bridge in anything, it's easier to cross the bridge the second time. You know, it's like once you inject heroin the first time it's a lot easier to do the second time, probably. Once you kill someone the first time in a war, it's probably a lot easier to do the second time. And once you steal money from someone, it's a lot easier to do the second time. And then the third time, it's easier and the fourth time, and it just started building up you know, because of the confidence and comfort.
1: Yeah. Wow. Gary. All right. So I appreciate you sharing that. I appreciate you you know, being open and honest about that, because I think there's people that are listening that are going to relate to that on some well, you know, level. know, it
0: gets to be a point in time. It's hard to run your business and do what you have to do and keep up with the financials because that's a job in itself. Yeah. And you got to have someone there you trust, but you got to really, really monitor them. What, you never can get to the point you did I did going, this is like one of my great buddies. You know, you can't let that happen.
1: Yeah, I've heard even Oprah Winfrey, she'll say, you got to know where every single penny is being spent. You got to know.
0: Yeah, I don't know that we would have even, that it's when the economy went bad in 2008, so it wasn't that long ago. But, you know, yeah. that's when we started feeling the pinch, you know, because the economy was bad. So everything started slowing down for everybody, you know. So all of a sudden we were going, wow, where's this money? Going? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, but she still had her bills, you know, that she'd cut some lifestyle to having that extra money right. you know, every month. So she really couldn't be cutting back even though we were, you know, we were cutting back.
1: Oh, wow. Well, man, oh, man, <laughs> I appreciate you sharing that story. So, Gary, let's talk about, there was a pretty big announcement with podcast movement this week and uh, with a keynote. So I just wanted to hear your response to that. I mean, Sarah Koenig from Serial, that's a huge podcast, probably the biggest in the world. And I was wondering what you thought about that keynote speaker.
0: Well, this is kind of embarrassing to say. I've never listened to an episode of that. Not yet, right? Yeah. So uh, I don't have a lot of information on it. You know, from the response, yeah, it's fantastic. You know, I don't, I really wish you hadn't asked me that because I don't have any good reaction to it.
1: You know, did you hear from any industry insiders in terms of podcast industry about that announcement?
0: No, I just saw messages posted places by people I knew, but no one that contacted me, but I saw a message from people. That's why I said, it's a big deal, obviously. And uh, when it was announced, Mitch and I were sitting side by side and Mitch was going off the wall and I was like, who is it? (laughs) You (laughs) You know, that's not really my niche, you know, is, uh. I don't listen. I have so many, you know what? I'm into, I only listen pretty much to technical podcasts, you know, on how to like help me make more money, you know, whether it's social media, whether it's marketing, whatever. That's about all I listen to. So, uh, like, I listen to Startup, you know, yeah, Dan told me one. about that. And I listened to first episode. Oh, this is something I probably could learn something from. And so I have listened to all the episodes of that. But if it's not like teaching me how to make more money, I, I really don't probably listen to it.
1: All right. So, Gary, one of the things that you've been accused of is you've been accused of being an Instagram expert. Is that true or false?
0: Well, as my new book coming out is going to say, it's not hard to be an Instagram expert.
1: (laughs) So let's talk about the new book.
0: Well, it's still... I've got the cover made up and I still... I got three other books ahead of it I'm making. But uh, that (laughs) book is a simple book because it's not hard to be an Instagram expert. You know, I'm not going to go into people's names, but it's someone who claims they're an Instagram expert. And I knew nothing about Instagram and I had no followers, but I made a challenge online, not, well, I tagged them. So I'm sure they saw the challenge, but it wasn't like a race with them, but it was more of a challenge to me saying, I'm going to learn this Instagram and I'm going to have more followers than this Instagram expert has by Christmas. And this was maybe in September. And uh, by November, I had passed the Instagram expert. And uh, once I passed them, I quit messing with Instagram. You know, I haven't like done anything on it. I was and that's funny. I was showing Mitch that Saturday when I was talking. I looked and I'm still like 200 ahead of the Instagram expert and I haven't touched Instagram since November. And this person's an <laughs> expert at it and they still haven't caught me from my two months of messing with it. So, but
1: are these just like, are these people that are engaging or is it just, you know, random followers that don't really pay attention?
0: No, I think they engage quite a bit. I get quite a bit of engagement. So, well, let's put it this way also. Mm. When I was doing my, that's a good question. I like to be able to say to people, that's a good question, Jared. But you know, if you you go to my, uh, especially when I was working it, if you went to my posts, my images or my Instagrams or whatever you call them, and looked at them compared to the Instagram expert, every week I detailed on my Facebook page how many I had gained during the week, how much I had gained on the expert during the week, and engagement average per post. Interesting. And my average engagement would be when I was working it as high as 300 per post where the Instagram experts, I don't think it ever got over 80 average per post. So Hmm. I don't know if what you call real fans or not, but I have 200 more fans than the Instagram expert has and my engagement of likes is higher (laughs) than hers. And uh, (laughs) I don't even do anything with it except post on there. I don't work it. I don't do anything special. Now that I'm through learning Instagram, I just post a picture there every day.
1: If I post a selfie on Instagram, I've got over a 1,000 people that follow me on Instagram. I might get 30 likes on that picture. So I don't know if I'm just ugly or <laughs> nobody <my> highest, cares. <laughs> I think
0: my highest when I was working, it was 500 you know, likes on a photo. So oh, that's so yeah, like I would said, say that's pretty impressive. Yeah, my average was 300. So I would say these people were all involved. Well, not, well you're never going to have them all involved. But I'm going to say my people that I got to follow me were as involved Actually, I would say there were twice as involved as the Instagram experts was, you know, as far as likes, you know. So I, I think they were involved. And now, what, t- two months have gone by? So the people who were, would have just followed me and go, ah, why am I following this guy? What's the deal? I'm following this <laughs> 60-year-old man. I don't know. And I'm, I'm a 17-year-old teenager. <laughs> They're still following me and still liking my stuff. So, well,
1: people get in the rhythm of just uh, liking photos, just scrolling and yeah, I, you know, I double think tapping. It's,
0: if you go to my um, Instagram page, which is FastPitchTV, TV. fastpitchtv.softball.show, which I never use anywhere, but that was part of my Instagram marketing platform. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> If you go to that, you'll see you can definitely tell my post. So my followers know my post immediately from the way I, I create them. You know, <laughs> my posts all look the same. I mean, they all, yeah. they're all they all my posts. My posts, no matter what I'm posting, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, if I post an image, you know it's Gary Leland's image if you follow Gary Leland at all. How are you making those images? I just make them on Photoshop.
1: So you do them on Photoshop. Yeah, I just have
0: a template. Yeah. I just change the words, drop it in the, the picture in the background of the template. I mean, I use okay. that image everywhere. That's my
1: deal. Well, I say your branding is very consistent yeah. with that. It's, it's
0: but you know, when I started that branding, I was told that by a YouTube expert, Jeremy yeah. Vest. And before I started doing that with my images, if you were to search Fast Pitch on YouTube, I didn't come up on the first 10 pages. But once Mm -hmm. I did that within two days, I was like, I had two on the first page, three on the second page. I mean, it was amazing how quickly I got reactions from that.
1: That's interesting. All right. So, Gary, who is doing something that interests you?
0: Paul Colligan. And I'm copying him because I always copy Paul Colligan because softball is a niche that doesn't compete with him and he doesn't care. And he will tell me what he's doing so I can copy him. Because he's one of the smartest people I know. And I tell Paul that every time I see him. His book he's coming out with. Are you familiar with his book? His last show, I think. Was, I think this show was with John Leeds Dumas. And it's about the book again. Are you familiar? I don't know. Do you I, listen to him or not?
1: I don't. But I've heard you talk about him. And I know his reputation is strong, especially in podcasting. Yeah, so. he
0: has. He does the podcast report now. But he's got a new book he's having written. And he's got like maybe... I'm just guessing there's like 15 of us at least that are all writing a chapter for him. And so he's got everybody writing chapters for his book who are experts on podcasting. So <laughs> I'm doing the same thing now for softball because I copy everything Paul does. You know, I'm not.
1: A, I'm, well, that, that's an interesting strategy, though. So you're outsourcing your own book. Yes. And then people
0: can let's say that I didn't have any books already to sell paperback yeah. books, but I was uh-huh. going to speak somewhere. And I wanted to sell books at the end of my speaking session. Well, everybody who's written a copy of his book can go on and buy the copies, you know, for two fifty a copy, right? You know, and at CreateSpace, anyone who's got a chapter can buy the book for two fifty and sell them, you know, for fourteen ninety five. So that's not bad, yeah. So all of a sudden, you got a book you can sell. It's the same profit you'd make as if you wrote the book. I mean, you are making the same profit whether you wrote it or not. So even if you have a book now, you got another book you can sell.
1: <laughs> well, I do think there's uh, some opportunity there. So maybe the light bulb's turning on for a few people who are listening right now. Uh, Gary, what's the best place for people who want to check out your Instagram? They want to check out what you're up here with, the Fast bitch, They want to check out Pottertainment. Well, we've mentioned a, a several places. Yeah, just so w- where can they Leland.
0: go to? com? You know, I do so many different things. I made right. that website just so I could send people there and have one place that they could find out everything about me. Because I have all GaryLeland. my links there. Com. All my podcasts are listed there. All my websites are listed there. All my stores listed there. I mean, everything I do is listed there. But that's where Pottertainment, actually, the home for Pottertainment is there and the Gary Leland show is there.
1: Okay. And that's your podcast. Right. That's one of my podcasts. That's my... One of your podcasts.
0: Yeah. I do the Gary Leland show. I do the Fast Pitch TV show. I do the Fast Pitch radio show. I do the Winsome Softball stuff show. I do the Fast Pitch chat show and
1: think i got another one but i can't remember what it is but i might not that (laughs) might be it how in the world do you manage so many shows i'm like struggling to manage just one my shows are i'm pretty much not
0: a perfectionist you know so that's why i can do stuff i can whip out well i did a podcast today i did the interview this week with chris green from um about amazon stores because i'm I'm getting into that now that's my new thing i've taken on i'm through with the doing the uh, Instagram. Now I'm learning Amazon stores. So I did a show with Chris Green. That's the thing about Gary Leland shows. I interview people about what I want to learn about. Chris would never talk to me if I called him up and said, hey, can I have an hour of your time and you tell me how to do this? But mm-hmm. because I'm interviewing him, I can ask him all the questions I have to ask to learn how to do it. So, but I did that podcast and um, not the recording time with Chris. I bet it took me 15 minutes. Whoa.
1: As we start to wrap up here, what do, you, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners? I do. Don't...
0: Yeah, I find most people aren't successful because they give up too soon. That's what I find. If people want to be successful. Don't give up too soon. You know, because it, it, a lot of people never start. So everybody always says, just do it. You know, that's a big thing people will tell you. Just start. If you start, you can't do anything till you start, which is true. But don't give up too soon. You know, especially in podcasting, they give up too soon. Because they make it a big production. They make it too much work. If if it took them five, 15 minutes like I did, they'd probably podcast forever. But then, you know, it's like a six hour ordeal for them, or they get excited and they want to make six of them and have a bunch of them that they can't keep up with. And they get, it's work and they get tired of it. So keep it simple and don't give up. Keep it going as long as you can till you can't do it anymore. Because you never know when it'll happen. You know, I'm going to give you a quick story, Jared. And I'm sorry, but I have to. This is a perfect example. Back in 88, You know, I was in the wallpaper business and uh, we had a store and wallpaper was king then. It's not king now, but all the wallpaper stores went out of business. So it's kind of like being king because there's none around except for us. But there were a lot of wallpaper stores in and there were two giant ones near me. Uh, My wife said, man, I think that we might need to just shut these doors here. I mean, we're having a hard time competing. I'm tired of like humping just to get by, you know, and these two other places, they get all the builders and new constructions. And she's like, no, you can't work for anyone else. We don't have a choice. No one will let you work for them. You'll get fired (laughs) as soon as you work there. Well, I promise you it was not a month later, one of the biggest competitors called me up and said they were going out of business and wanted to know if I wanted to buy all the inventory for like five cents on the dollar. And so I bought all the inventory. And the next year, my other competitor retired, left it to his children who ran it out of business in six months. So it wasn't a year later that I was the only one left. So that's so why I said sometimes you just got to keep plowing at it and not give
1: up too soon. Wow, no, that's a great story, all right, Gary. I, I really appreciate you taking time to to share all this. And of course, best wishes to you and your family. And no, same and to
0: yours. You got fast pitch there. and
1: pottertainment. entertainment, and uh, my goodness, the you know several things that you're into and, and doing great with. Like so, working. Gary, I like working. You do like to work. Yeah, I like so to work. I've, I've been there's so many people out there like, man, I don't, I don't like my work. How, how do people like their work? Yeah,
0: I, I don't understand all these people also that tell me their time's too valuable to do little stuff. I work while I'm sitting on the couch there, you know, like little crap that I got to do. You know, I just have my computer my laptop while I'm watching TV. I'm just pumping away at it. I like working. So you got plenty <laughs> of time. You can't tell me that time you're sitting. Like, oh, I need that downtime. Really, you got to have downtime. Your life's that stressful. You got to have downtime. I mean, you know.
1: So how do you unwind Gary I think that's what people are saying I, I need some time to just unwind so what does that mean to you Well I enjoy what
0: I do so I don't what do I need to unwind from I mean what have I done so stressful I mean you know I mean in my case I'm out there you know I used to be a lumberjack when I was a lumberjack maybe I needed to rest because I was all worn out when I got home but you know <laughs> but, but I mean you know unless you're doing if you're doing a job like that, you're a manual labor, and I'm not giving anyone a hard time. I, I grew up in a family of manual labor, so I'm not giving anyone a hard time. But if you do it up like that, yeah, you need some downtime. You know, <laughs> you do. You're tired. You're worn out. You've worked your ass off. You know, you just want to sit back and, like, recoup. <laughs> if you're a guy working on his computer all day, don't give me that you need some downtime.
1: <laughs> well, okay. All right. So, Gary, you don't ever do anything to relax, ever?
0: No, I'm sure I do. I have to go places with my wife and do stuff. But, you know, like, you know, I had a last year at Podcast Movement. I had a great time. Yeah, that was And, and we were working. Experience. So, I yeah, mean, it's not true. work if you're having a good time. But, yeah, I have to go to things like weddings and things like that. But, you know, I, I come home and pull out my computer, and I'm perfectly fine to sit here and work. I mean, I'm not, like, going, man, where's the bar at? I want to go party. I mean, or, I mean maybe I would have when I was younger, though. So, see, I'm at the other side of the fence now. What I got... My average lifespan, I got like 17 years left or something, you know, so maybe I just... Do
1: do you have an adult beverage before you go to bed? No,
0: no, no. I (laughs) I drink very little. Now, I used to drink a lot when I was young, but I drink very little. (laughs) Matter of fact, I probably haven't had a drink in a month and a half, two months, and then it was a glass of wine with someone who came over. Interesting. So I don't even know why we drank the glass of wine. I mean, we got four or five bottles up (laughs) there just for like when people come over, we won't look like... You know. I Maybe mean, that's why I don't have any friends anymore. I never have any liquor over here for
1: <laughs> Yeah, nobody wants to come over it's expensive.
0: to Urban. Liquor's expensive.
1: <laughs> you know, there's a difference
0: between being uh, frugal and not having money. I'm just frugal. I have a hard time. You know, you go out to a bar with my daughter, hell you're paying ten dollars for a bottle of glass of vodka. I mean, that's just crazy to me.
1: Well, you took a trip to Paris, that's not cheap. No,
0: but that's different. And I only had one bottle of wine while I was there. You know, that's different. <laughs> Yeah, that's, uh, you know, actually, I think I'd rather have uh, ice cream than liquor anyway. You know, so I think I'd rather have some ice cream. I like desserts.
1: All right. So what's your favorite ice cream? Butter pecan. Interesting. But I'll eat any of it. I like ice cream. (laughs) So what's the best place in Dallas, Fort Worth to go get ice cream?
0: I don't know. You know, I just get it at the carton at the grocery store. I haven't had ice cream in so long, though. I mean, I haven't had ice cream probably in two or three years. So I just love it. I just don't need it. You haven't had ice cream in two or three years? I don't think so. I'm trying to think when the last time I had ice cream was. Oh, it probably was in Paris. I probably had some.
1: So that was, that was. of fact, last time I
0: went on the cruise, you know, every time, you know, they came up with a dessert tray and they go, here's, I said, could you just bring me like two scoops of ice cream? (laughs) Forget those fancy desserts. I love ice cream.
1: Well, Gary, I can't think of a better way to end this podcast than saying I love ice cream. So, uh, Gary, we appreciate this. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, best wishes hey, to you. Hey, and, everything I enjoyed it, Jared. It's, uh, and I guess we'll see each other uh, at New
0: Media Expo there.
1: I will you know? be at New Media Expo. Uh, yeah, let's let's just go ahead and promo that. So you and I, we're going to do solo sessions and then it looks like we're not doing those. We're going to actually get to work together on a session. So let's go ahead and tease that real quick.
0: Yeah, yeah. We're going to be uh, really talking about Multicasting using podcasts as the start of your multicast marketing strategy.
1: Well, what does that mean to multicast? Well, it's funny. I just made a
0: definition for that today. Interesting. Um, I don't know where it is, but multicasting, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to look it up. I was real happy with my definition though. But basically, okay. instead of looking it up, taking too long, it's taking one piece of information, like a, I start with a video podcast and turning it into. Uh, For instance, I would take that one video podcast and I would send it out in 23 other ways. You know, so uh, you have the video that you could watch or you'd get my, you'd see it on my app or you could go to YouTube and watch it or you could, uh, I pull the audio out and I make a audio podcast out of it. I pull the text out and I make a text blog about it. Then I put it in the Fast Pitch Magazine. Then I put it on paper, LI. and so. That's multicasting to me. I take that one cast, that one podcast, and I make over 20. I do it as a slide share. You know, I put the text in a slide share. I mean, I I do it as a book, as an ebook, and then I do it as a paperback book. So that information is is very usable. And I don't know, I don't put it out the same day, 21 different ways. Everybody go, gosh, I'm just tired of seeing this story about, you know, his interview with Judy Judy. You know, but over the period of a year, (laughs) Right, You know, you can put it out all these ways because most people didn't see your content the first time or yeah, they don't all use the same content methods. You know, the person who's following me on Facebook probably isn't following me on SlideShare, you know, and reading that's my true. stuff and probably isn't pay- buying my paperback book. So that's what multicasting
1: is. Well, that's really interesting. So how do you take a podcast episode and turn that into a book?
0: Well, in the example that I'm using, I have interviewed There's and this one, there's well, there's two ways to do it, but I'm going to do this example. There's 32 people who played softball in the Olympics. That's it. So I've been interviewing every one of them. I've got like eight left to interview. I'll turn all those interviews into chapters of a book. Okay?
1: But now, Are those transcribed and then you're like actually writing out the chapter? How does that work?
0: I, no, I'm not transcribing. I'm going to have someone do all that for me. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> yeah, I got someone course. to pay in like eight bucks an hour to do that, an employee. You know, when right. this slow, she puts on her headphones and starts typing. Heck, she's a college kid. They can type pretty fast. Yep. You don't have to get some. I mean, to me, I have employees, you know, but still, you know, I think that if I didn't, it's funny, you should ask that on the way home. I was thinking about that tonight. If I didn't have an employee, I think I would go to my local church and I would go, hey, whoever runs the church here, do you know anybody that doesn't have a job that maybe has kids would like to make some extra money? I pay them eight bucks an hour and I would just email them the files and they could just listen and type them up. I mean, you don't have to, there are lots of people in America who want to make money and they, you don't have to like send it overseas, but yes. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, Cause I've had some stuff done overseas and I had to go through it and redo a lot of it. Cause there were words. They just didn't know. Yeah. You know like Texas A&M. They couldn't figure out what that was. You know, you could tell that was, they couldn't figure out what Texas, they were words. They just did not know. And they took a stab at it or maybe they had to be computer doing it. I don't know. But, you know, I just have someone that does it in their off time. Or well, I'm doing the Gary Leland show as a book. That's one of the things I'm going to do as a book. And every chapter, every interview I've done is going to be um, a chapter in a book. I'm going to take 15 interviews, turn those, just the interview part, into a book.
1: So the transcriptions, you would just write the chapter based off the transcription? Right, right. Or? Exactly.
0: And I would say at the beginning of the book what I'm doing, these are all interviews I've had with people, The blah, 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 blah about blah, 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 blah. And they would be in fifteen interviews with those people and then I'd have the people's bios in there so they'd know what they represented and where their credentials came from. I mean, and I got that idea from Paul Colgan. He did that on a book of his podcast report. He sold two books and he sells them for nineteen ninety-five. And they're actually just his audio, you know, podcast. Wow. So and he's he's made books are easy to do. I got this book stuff down. You know, it's funny. I like to get new things and learn how to do them and then kind of get burned out and move on to something else. But I got this book's down. I can put a book out in a day, you know.
1: And are the books moving? I mean, people are actually buying. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not making a million
0: dollars off of any of them. Most of them are 99 cent books.
1: But you know, I've made uh, in
0: the last like off of uh, the one book I have that's 4.99, and the paperback's 14.95. I put that uploaded that in my magazine as a special subscription. You know, the ebook version I put in my magazine is a special subscription, a special book. You know, you didn't get it in the description, a special offering. Right. And I think I've done I put that up there in November, and I've done four hundred dollars off that one, you know
1: well, that's not bad, yeah. I mean how much work was that really to put that together? yeah,
0: it wasn't any work at all
1: <laughs> it was not, so you made four hundred dollars out of almost no work, yeah, <laughs>
0: and then I still have the money I'm making off of it from amazon you know and then and then the the book version, you know you buy those books, you know for what what I pay two fifty for a copy and I sell them for fourteen ninety five I bring them to the store and I sell. At least three or four a week. It's not a ton of money, but you know, it's, I'm making 12 bucks a book. You know, it's just sitting on the shelf there. I mean, you know, so it's another couple of hundred bucks or so. So I think all my books, you know, maybe I make 300 bucks a month or something. I'm not sure. But I don't do any more work. They're all evergreen content. That's the key. Yeah. You know, once you put it up, you make money forever. Even if it's 20 bucks, if you make it for 20 years. And that's kind of the problem with tech stuff, really, though, it doesn't stay as evergreen as softball does. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Ten years from now, people will still want to know how to pitch a ball. Ten years from now, <laughs> how to do marketing with podcasting will have changed so much Yeah, it will. that the book won't be relevant anymore.
1: No, that's a good point. Well, Gary, I am going to cut it sorry. I'm sorry to right. go here. in there, guy. No, this was really good It's entertaining and informative, so we appreciate that mix. Gary, thank you again.
0: Hey, thanks. I enjoyed it. <laughs> If people have access to your money, the people who they are, you would never expect are the ones that will take your money and just say, I'm sorry, I don't have... Because they piss it away 90% of the time on BS. You know, just piss it away. They can't even tell you what they did with it. But they will steal your Hmm. money. They will figure out ways. Like I said, this person, you know, she couldn't write checks. She couldn't sign checks. But she figured out a way to make checks for me to sign, you know, because of my belief in her and trust in her, you know, but I've heard a crazier stories than this, than mine. So like I said, a lot of people may say that would never happen to me, but that's what I would have said too.